Hello, and welcome to Drivers of Disruption, a show where we're covering the latest advancements of mobility, current challenges, and solutions in the space. My name is Matthias Garibaldi, and today's topic of conversation is the use of Gen AI in the auto sector. Gen AI is a topic that has been front and center, uh, especially since the presence of ChatGBT in November 2022. But Gen AI has existed for many years before that as well. Um, over the last couple of months, there's been a lot of conversations and questions on how Gen AI is going to impact you know, different industries, our way of working, and our way of life. Um, so we're very excited to have two experts uh, in the space as our guests. Uh, our first expert is Philip Skogstad. He is the CEO of Mercedes-Benz R&D North America. Uh, not only does he focus on topics ranging from autonomous vehicles to connectivity to infotainment, uh, Mercedes-Benz R&D North America is also the first OEM R&D facility in Silicon Valley um, back in 1994. Uh, also, in regards to this topic, Mercedes-Benz R&D Group is the first automotive OEM to integrate ChatGPT in their vehicles. And right now it's being beta tested with 900,000 users today. Uh, welcome, Philip. Thank you, Matthias. Our second guest is Ben Ellensweig. He's the senior partner and global leader of Quantum Black. He leads our Gen AI initiative at McKinsey, and he's also a board member of the recently acquired Iguazu, a data science platform to automate machine learning at McKinsey. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me. So Ben, to kick us off, uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity to help our listeners uh, by providing a short introduction on what is Gen AI, you know, how are different companies utilizing it already? And, you know, how does McKinsey think companies can further create value using Gen AI? Yeah, so super exciting topic. And again, thank you for having us today. Uh, Generative AI has burst into our lives uh, earlier this year with the ChatGPT. Whether you played with a toast or a roast uh, or checked out your vacation plans using this powerful technology, it actually been around for the past six, seven years. It started in December 2017 with a transformer model, the T in GPT, coming out of the Google brain. And since then, for the past six years, it has evolved. Um, where are we seeing it at the moment deployed? I would say we're seeing four main categories that uh, enterprises, including the automotive ecosystem, are starting to adopt. One is around software, the ability to co-develop with the machine different software applications, what we call the co-pilot. Two is customer engagement. Anything touching the customer, whether it's service or sales, there could be a co-pilot, call summarization, and hyper-personalization um, to create a very different experience. Three is concision, making things concise and synthesize them. It's almost a virtual knowledge system that we all wish we always had that can go through documents, whether it's product development, whether it's different safety protocols, and can ingest the whole thing and give us a clear answer. And then lastly is content generation. Content generation is the holy grail of segment of one, creating a very unique experience for you, Matthias, or for you, Philip, or for myself, which will be different from one another, whether we're thinking about a marketing campaign for a new car or getting our manual guide how to use the car just purchased. 
that's that's super helpful, Ben, and um, kind of provides how big this landscape can be and will be. Um, and Philip, I want to I want to shift over to you because you know Mercedes Benz is the first automotive OEM to bring uh, ChatGPT. ChatGPT is one of many Gen AI companies out there. But Mercedes-Benz is the first automotive company to bring that uh, integration in their vehicles. And I think it was announced on June 15th, so roughly you know a month and a half ago to over 900,000 customers as part of their beta test. So Philip, would love to hear from you. One is, you know, how was the feature launched? How did you do this you know, so quickly? But actually, let's start from the beginning. How did the idea come about and how did you get from idea to having this in you know, 900,000 customers as part of a beta test. Yes, happy to do so, Matthias. If you think Mercedes, you might remember we invented the automobile. So we've always been first and we continue to carry that forward. One thing about Mercedes, think luxury, think technology leadership. We were the first OEM who started a location in Silicon Valley back in 1994. And so continuing on that legacy, when, as you mentioned, ChatGPT latest version came out at the end of last year, it was just after the new year that I had it in my car. And the oh, wow. team here set it up that way. Uh, we were at CES, could try it out there, show it to our own chief technology officer of all of Mercedes. And he said, I like it. And we said, we like <laughs> it too. So uh, we had our capital markets day uh, here in Sunnyvale, California, where we had influencers, analysts, media from around the world uh, here in Sunnyvale in February of this year. And we showed it to them. Think of a, look into the kitchen, what we're working on, what we're cooking up. And the feedback was very, very positive. And so encouraged by this feedback, we said, we really believe in this. We want to bring it to customers and we wouldn't be Mercedes if we wouldn't do so fast, but also in a responsible fashion. And so we're very glad that uh, you know, we were able to be first through the culture that we have here. Uh, we iterated from those early beginnings. I had it in my car, we roll it out, we set up a beta program, we enable all customers in the US to opt in, either via their Mercedes Me Connect app, where you can log in, or in your Mercedes, you can just say, hey Mercedes, I wanna join the ChatGPT beta program. I'll then enroll you in that program. At that point, your Hey Mercedes voice control in the vehicle will continue to deliver all your navigation and vehicle control functions as you're used to, but it'll also use a broader domain enabled to you through the ChatGPT technology. That's amazing. And and Philip, I guess you kind of hinted at it, but you know, how large was the team that did this? It seems like it was bootstrapped in certain ways. You tested on your vehicle first and CES and then 900,000 people. What was the time frame of that in, in general? Um, 
that seems faster than most development things in automotive, right? <laughs> so could you speak a little bit? <laughs> could you speak a little bit about that? Because I think it's great, right? That's where automotive has to go to. Uh, but would love to talk a little bit about timing. How did you? How did you do that? How, how was the size of the team and those aspects? How did you go so fast? So great, great question. I think Matthias, you're alluding there to some of the challenges we're dealing with in automotive, because on the one side we have development cycles of you know multiple years, followed by production cycles that are also spanning multiple years. So we may today. We work in on a car that a customer will buy as a brand new car 10 years from now. On the other hand, being Mercedes, customers having new digital devices all the time, expect it to be state of the art. And I think that is where I see us having to have the connected but divergent paces of software and hardware. And we need to make sure the two always connect. And that's a key part of my responsibility. And so in this case, very much, like you said, bootstrap teams that really like this, but then increased. You know, we needed to enable the beta program. We, uh, that required changes in the app. That requires to bring on legal colleagues. That requires to bring on data security colleagues. Uh, so you know, with time, as this evolved, along the way kept being Let's iterate and keep the customer in mind. There was always this very clear focus. We have a great feature. We've seen it work in my car. Let's have as many customers as possible benefit from this as quickly as possible. We launched it in the US and we're not going to stop here. That's awesome. I think that's an awesome story. And, it, and I want to dive into one more part of this story. Philip, and it's the iteration, right? The, the How do you navigate the iteration in your team? There's a balance of, you know, iterating to getting to the best solution as quickly as possible. And then sometimes, you know, depending on the leadership or depending on multiple factors, there's a little bit of apprehension to iterate and not bring the customer the, the final product. I guess uh, would love to understand the you know, iteration mindset that you had over the course of these these multiple months? So th thank you, Matthias, for that, that question. Mercedes' slogan is the best or nothing. And I sometimes need to remind my the team, we have something really good. Let's go out and then iterate it, make it better from there, than to end up with nothing. I think that's that culture that for those of us familiar with software, especially cloud software, when you have fixed release cycles, you know, you can get out there very quickly. What I keep telling the team is if you've got a subway train that runs every 10 minutes, you're not worried about getting to the next one. You're fine catching this one, catching the next one. Whenever you're there, you're catching the next train. It's the same with software. We need these fast iterations. And then that allows you to, if you have the continuous releases, then you can iterate very rapidly. And that's what we're doing here. And that's what we're setting up all our systems to do. I think, I think that's perfect. I think that's fascinating. I think uh, merging the software mindset with some of the automotive hardware mindset you know, I think there's a lot of growing to do there, but it's really interesting to see these 
these things in action, right? And what's important with that is to ensure our customer safety first and foremost, their physical safety, but also their digital safety, how we handle data responsibly there being absolutely key and ensuring the privacy of our customer throughout the entire process. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and Philip, you were mentioning, you know, the iterations, right? So what are you excited in regards to the possibilities of Gen AI and, and what it can unlock for the future, things that, you know, we don't necessarily see today, but what are kind of the, the, the next iteration or maybe multiple iterations, two, three, five years down the line of how humans will interact with vehicles? So not at liberty to discuss the detailed roadmap of Mercedes with you. As as we know, we have a lot of curious uh, ears here uh, on on this uh, show. But I I think it'll have, as Ben said earlier, absolutely transformational impact on all parts of, of life, on work, on our personal life, on how we're interacting with each other. And with our cars. And right now, ChatGPT, we've implemented it through voice. That, that's a starting point. Uh, we're seeing intelligent assistance more and more all around us in our life. We want the car to be part of that. So, you know, what if your car notices that tomorrow morning, you have a 7 a.m. meeting in the office and you're living somewhere in, a, in the northern states. It's really cold and you want to make sure you're comfortable in the car in the morning. It's winter time. The car can notice it. See maybe into your calendar if you've given it permission to do so. And say, well, you know, Based on the commute pattern, it might be a little icy this morning. It'll give you a message. You might want to leave the house already at 6.15 compared to your usual routine at 6.30. It'll have your vehicle heated by that time. And it'll welcome you as you get in and tell you, you've got this meeting. Would you like this respective news channel that might be relevant or so on that trip to the meeting? It's not the car by itself, but it's in connection. And with that ability, Ben, as you said before, not just looking backwards, but looking forward, generating usefulness to your life, that that's what we want to get to. And uh, we're, we're working on that in an iterative fashion. That's super exciting. And now I want to shift over to to Ben. So we've been talking about the, the customer aspect of it. Um, but one of the things I think that, uh, also McKinsey had, had mentioned in their latest article on the topic is, you know, 75% of the value of Gen AI, um, and the specific use cases fall under, you know, four major areas. Uh, one is customer operations, marketing and sales, software engineering, and, and R and D. Um, so looking ahead, what do you believe holds the most promise for chat or Gen AI, actually, not just ChatGPT, but Gen AI um, in the automotive industry. What are some What are some examples of what we're going to see, also outside of the you know voice activation uh, use case? I mean, um, 
you know, uh, uh, predicting the future is something which is very dangerous. We're all probably <laughs> be in a different profession if we could do that. But um, I would say that, uh, and I spend a lot of time with the um, uh, most senior folks in the industry that are literally building those large language models across all companies. Many of them would say we are already at a point which is they would thought will be there only in 20 years. So we are fat. The, the pace is just laser speed and just going faster and faster. But we have to remember this is almost early days of the first inning. So um, let me bring it to life a little bit to answer your question. Um, I love Philip's example on the car. The car becomes basically part of our daily lives. We're all going to have virtual assistants. They're going to be writing memos for us. They're going to be preparing us for meetings. They're going to be uh, uh, composing music to our, uh, you know, whether it's a new song of the Beatles that was never written or, or anything else. But I do think it's interesting, actually, when you look at the holistic uh, ecosystem uh, beyond the consumer, uh, think about the technician that's, that actually uh, serves your car. When you come into the dealer or to a body shop, uh, the ability to guide a technician to identify the problem, uh, that the ability to pinpoint uh, um, uh, people how to solve a problem quickly. Think about the salesperson when you walk on the, the, the showroom floor and the ability to actually have a conversation with a co-pilot that literally listens to the conversation and guides both the consumer but also the salesperson. Or the, uh, or, or, or the financial services manager, um, literally how to create a very tailored experience that addresses your needs as a consumer. And then think about the marketeer. If before we thought about, hey, let's get a camera crew. Let's get a few Mercedes cars out there in the Death Valley uh, uh, desert in order to take the shots, etc. Generative AI can actually produce it and not only produce it, but can put yourself, Matthias, or you, Philip, in the car. So the marketing campaign will be targeted at you based on your preferences in your experiences. So um, I really think from a technician perspective, a dealer perspective, a marketing perspective, things are going to change. From an R&D and product development perspective, I think it is one of the upcoming categories that are moving faster than we expected. Um, I have a, 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 an industrial CEO client that basically likes to say, I've got some CAD drawings in my attic. I've got some uh, uh, safety protocols in my basement. I have some emails here in my cabinet in the living room. Can you help me connect the dots? Gen AI can do that. So imagine that we are going to let our engineers focus on really the creativity side of things with Gen AI enabling us to connect all those dots and simplify the experience of reimagining components, understanding how they all fit together. And I think it's very exciting because especially for automotive, software is becoming such a core part of the vehicle, the timing could have not been more perfect. Uh, but Philip, I'm curious to hear what are your thoughts about uh, how um, uh, Gen AI will change your role as product and, and R&D thinking. Uh T totally agree, Ben, with, with everything that you've said. Uh, and I think it goes even beyond what you've said. I think it's in R&D. It is in production. It is in the sales. You mentioned um, the, the shop floor. It's also in the customer learning the features of their vehicle. In America, nobody almost comes home and reads the manual. 
in, in other parts of the world, you have two hour sessions at the dealer where they explain the car to you. Most of the time, we American customers, they're, they're on the go. They, they're ready to take their car and drive off. So you can predict when is somebody most likely going to benefit from a certain feature. Think, you know, you may not be familiar with the ADAS functionality, Advanced Driver Assistance System, that can keep your lanes for you, that can vary the speed with the traffic, with a car in front of you. You may not be familiar with that. If you're driving down the road where it's, you know, safe for you to try to get to familiar with that, we can exactly give you a personal tutorial on that in the right moment as being one of the examples uh, and that I think is very interesting. Uh, production, uh, reliability of parts, when do you do service? All those things, you can predict more, you can be more forward-looking. And even in development, then as you were describing, came to me a lot of these compliance checks, for example. Uh, you had safety in the basement mentioned. That you can run a lot of those things in the background in an automated fashion, not the final check. I always am firmly convinced it needs to be a human that does the final point in the loop. But uh, you, you can automate the path there. And as we know, it's a lot easier to get a draft memo and then modify it a little bit than to start writing a memo from scratch. And I think that initial tedious part of the work that generative AI can help us a great deal, it still requires the human intelligence to deliver the right prompt in the first place. Just like when you're telling your assistant bad instructions, they're not going to be very helpful to you. I think humans will always need to be in the loop and human intelligence will always uh, be key here. I, th I think that's really important. That's, that's a great segue actually to the, to the next question that I had for both of you. Um, and this also comes up every time we discuss uh, Gen AI or AI uh, in general is, you know, there, there is always a case of you, you need the human there in order to provide the right prompts to do the final check. Um, but a lot of people are worried of uh, how they're going to be impacted or potentially enabled by this technology. So a uh, question for both of you, um, you know, how do you see employees impacted or enabled right, by this technology? And what do you believe are steps that need to be taken in order to you know, educate, train employees to effectively you know, use, manage uh, Gen AI technologies. And um, happy to, who would like to go first? This one's a, this one's a, a tough one, but I would yeah. love to, yeah, Ben, you wanna go? Yeah, no, happy to. I mean, um, you know, we get this question a lot uh, yeah. and it is an important one. I think we have to remember uh, whether it was the industrial revolution, whether it was the internet or mobiles, everyone, every technology innovation Actually, uh, the transition is the hard period. Once we get used to it, people change their workflows, companies change their business processes, and there's actually a lot of advantages that technology begin, brings to the table. Um, you know, people always ask about productivity, and I always say, think about what we're doing now. In the future, you could argue, 
Gen AI can actually create some of the insights that we're talking about. We can create with deep fake a person talking and they will replace us all. Does it mean that Philip and I are out of a job or does it mean that we got just a few hours back to actually use the time for creative tasks that Gen AI cannot do on its own? So I think the answer is for me, it's about managing transitions. At the end of the day, um, calculators did not replace the math uh, uh, activities fully. Excel improved our productivity and word, but did not replace the humans. And Gen AI is basically a great addition to anything which requires creativity, which requires um, this human interaction we're having now, or even leadership. So I think um, if managed correctly, employees can be happier, more content, and focus on what they love doing. I think the key is, and I think it was in your question, is education. It's really important to make sure that people touch the technology, understand its potential. It's really important to manage the change, both culturally, but also teach people how to do this right. And I think it's critical to redefine some tasks that we do today that can be replaced by the machine. I agree with everything that Ben said. I think AI is a key enabler. There is a transformation on the way there. And I think all of us, we like to drive change. People want to drive change, but they don't want to be changed. And so key here is that we let people drive this transformation, that we give them access to generative AI so they can play with it themselves. Any of the technology transformation that you mentioned, Ben, before, the internet, the cloud, and so on. We all couldn't live without those anymore today. But they were scary to people at one point. And so I think here, it's not just education in the traditional sense, a lecture. It is enablement. Within Mercedes, we're enabling developers to use sandboxed environments where their data stays within Mercedes, but to try the technology out just in the same way that we brought ChatGPT to the car. Try it out in a safe way and iterate your way forward. And I think then we'll actually be able to automate, like Ben said, a lot of the tedious tasks that are currently preventing us from doing more value-added activity. Oh, I think that's a I think that's a great point. And Philip, you mentioned this. Um, you hinted at this next topic in two of your answers. Uh, one of it was uh, in regards to if the consumer uh, provides permission to uh, share their data. And this one answer you also mentioned in regards to data security. Um, and it's a topic that comes, you know, front and center when we're talking about Gen AI. So a lot of consumers, you know, are curious um, about data security, right? Especially when it comes to their personalized, you know, information. Um, how is Mercedes-Benz, you know, addressing these concerns when utilizing uh, Gen AI? So safety is absolutely key for Mercedes. You know our reputation. We stand for safety. And physical safety, digital safety, uh, you right. need to make sure both are treated with the utmost priority. And so if you look now with this ChatGPT version that we have, the data stays 
within Mercedes with you and the car. It is in the Microsoft cloud here that we have partnered with that your other vehicle data is in. But exactly disclosed what goes where in those permissions. None of it is shared back to OpenAI or the chat GPT. So it's not used to train future answers. That's a key point there to avoid that data information leakage. That's the same for our internal projects. We're using the same kind of rules for our own data as for our customer's data uh, to make sure it doesn't escape. And, and then, of course, there is, um, it can put various checks in to ensure or maximize the likelihood that you'll get the right answer. As with any human, you, you never have 100% guarantee for that. So uh, we want to make sure you always think for yourself uh, before you follow someone's instruction. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And Ben, in regards to, you know, on the topic of data security or just risk in general, right, I would love to dive deeper into this topic of just, you know, some ethical or legal consideration. So what do you believe are some key risks that uh, OEM should be aware of, you know, and how should they navigate these challenges to ensure the, you know, responsible use of, of Gen AI? And this can be you know, in the consumer facing voice assistance, but it can even be in, you know, the other aspects as well as a uh, customer operations, R&D, the other, you know, four different areas you were mentioning previously. Would love to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. And again, uh, this is a new technology. It's a whole new paradigm for us. We're still learning it as a society, as definitely as enterprises, the automotive ecosystem. Um, you know, we like to talk about responsible AI. Um, generative AI is not perfect. Uh, you all probably heard the word hallucination. The models are so sophisticated and they answer in such a profound way that you might think that the answer you're getting is a solid fact or a truth, but many times the model is just wrong. It wasn't trained properly or you're asking something which is relatively new for the model and it's learning. Uh, there's a question how you train the model. Um, you know, we've seen issues with regard to biases based on the uh, training material used for the model, fairness, is it used ethically? Uh, we're seeing questions on cyber. Uh, let's not forget that actually at the end of the day, under the models, we have a whole host of structured data and unstructured data that you need to think about how to manage. And obviously, we're connecting our own system to other organizations of the outside world, which poses risk by itself. I think what we have learned is um, we've seen two bookends, some organizations blocking it all together, some organization enabling it out in the open. But what we would say from responsible AI is a couple of things. One, um, having clear guidelines to your consumers and your employees, what it is and what it isn't. Be responsible, especially when it comes to what we like to call explainability. Many times you don't really understand why the answer that you're getting is the answer. Be able to understand it. Um, check the sources. Understand why is the model getting to an answer. And obviously, to Philip's point, apply human judgment. This is all human in the loop where we are now. Point number two is have clear disclaimers, meaning, um, hey, is this based on solely public knowledge, public knowledge, 
plus some enterprise private knowledge, almost what is the level of accuracy or confidence a certain answer might have. And then lastly, I do think it's important um, for us all as people and as enterprises to actually understand the power of this technology and its limitations so we can better assess a little bit uh, uh, those risks. So just to summarize, I would say from a responsible AI perspective, there's legal, there's ethical implications, um, and we should be um, aware it's a phenomenal, powerful technology that will disrupt every aspect of life, but we're still learning how to use it. And if I may say, sometimes humans are not exactly fully accurate either. So um, it's, uh, it's a journey, and that's also a journey. <laughs> Only with humans, you might get some cues of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> in their face or in their acting in their eyes that that makes you a little cautious yes exactly exactly uh, i love so that like ai <laughs> as the best poker player <laughs> i love that point ben um philip as uh as we're thinking we we touched uh on this in regards to you know what's next but I uh, wanted to ask you, you know, what are some uh, upcoming milestones that you're excited to achieve um, when you think about the goal of redefining the relationship with your Mercedes? I think you gave us, you know, a very interesting, <clears throat> you know, uh, idea or thinking of where that can go next. But I'm curious, you know, from the findings of the beta program, what will you do next? Um, and then what do you see as the, the long term vision? Well, as mentioned earlier, the, the long-term vision is really your car is part of your digital and physical. Uh, it is also for most of us, apart from our home, it is actually the biggest investment that we ever make. And Mercedes, certainly, you have higher expectations for it than just to take you from point A to point B. It is also a luxury good that you're buying to both treat yourself, but also to make a statement. And so with that, we always like to believe we have been and certainly have the ambition to continue to be ahead of everyone else in the game. Again, Mercedes stands for luxury and technology. And so I think that what that means will continue to evolve. Uh, we here talked about ChatGPT in the car being one step, very iteratively done, and will continue to evolve from there many, many increments, uh, not just with every new model cycle, not just with every new model year, but even you know on a quarterly, uh, why not a weekly and a daily basis? Because I'm a firm believer it's those fast feedback loops where we're putting something into customers' hands, where we're seeing, do they like it? Let's continue on that path a little further. Do they not so much like it? Let's go in a different direction. No, I think that's, I think that's great. And I guess my, my final question for, for both of you, um, but Philip, uh, coming from what you just mentioned is, you know, what advice or insights would you have or like to share to other auto industry leaders or, or leaders and stakeholders in general to best harness the potential of, of Gen AI and a success, successful future uh, 
for the industry? Is it this iterative process? I guess what would be your, you know, two, three key uh, pieces of advice that you would share with, with others? I, I think we've touched iterate fast. Don't be afraid to fail. You're going to learn a whole lot more from failing than for succeeding. But like Ben said, be responsible. Think of what is in each case the worst case scenario. Treat your customer data, treat your customer safety responsibly. And then within there, and that's the beauty of fast iteration, every failure is only a small failure not a big failure. That's why I'm so much for that fast, rapid iteration. I think that's a great point. And Ben, you were, you were about to mention something as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I love Philip Push about uh, uh, fast iterations. I would say almost, uh, just to summarize the conversation, um, one is educate. You've got to touch it. I've got a, uh, I've got a certain uh, uh, CEO client that basically instructed all 65,000 employees will touch uh, this technology by end of year. Experiment it, understand it. Second thing is experiment as soon as possible. I'm not saying pilot because usually this is not about proof of concept. So there's not much to prove. This works. It's experiment. What is the right business applications to learn to focus point about iterative process? And then the last thing I would say is scale. Um, there are strategic applications that require more thinking and preparation, especially as we think about automotive manufacturing or product development. These are basically a whole host of small use cases, but you really need to rethink the way we've done things. This is not anymore five years of product development before we launch the car. This is going to be much faster. That being said, you need to do all those three swim lanes in parallel, educate employees and consumers, start experimenting as soon as possible and iterate and learn and iterate and learn and start scaling with core strategic use cases, which are going to take a longer time. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. If we're going to get together in another 12 months, uh, we'll compare notes between Philip and I. Let's see uh, how far along we're going to be. I suspect this is going to be even further ahead than any one of us even thought. Those are great points. Philip, Ben, thank you so much uh, for your time. I find this topic fascinating, and it's great to speak to two leaders in the space. Thank you for having us. Thank you.